Mountain. Good to be with you today. My name is Ethan Magnus. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are a guest here today, boy, we are super glad that you are here. Hope you feel welcome. I want to say hello also to our friends at the Bel Air and Edgewood campus. Glad you're worshiping with us today. Uh, today we're continuing to have an awakening. Uh, we're responding to the reality that sometimes in your life you just kind of get dazed and confused. You kind of drift off and get dreamy when what you need to be in that moment is alert and awake and clear and focused. And we're just asking God to give us that kind of clarity that we need. Uh, ben came out in a bed and PJs. Luke came out groggy at a breakfast table because that's sometimes when we need an awakening. But, you know, the time in my life when I'm most aware that what I need is clarity, what I need is to be awake, and instead I'm nodding off, isn't early in the morning. I wake up pretty well, give me a shower and breakfast, and I'll, I'll be ready pretty much any time in the morning. For me, it's, it's the afternoon. I don't know, the sun comes in the window of my office, and I get kind of warm, and I've got a full stomach from lunch, and I can just yawn all the way through important meetings. I've probably done it to some of you. I apologize. Don't take it personally. It's just what happens to me in that early afternoon. I just need to wake up, or I'll miss it, you know? But it can be hard to wake up sometimes. We've been talking about this story about this younger brother who needed to wake up. This is the guy who goes to his father and he says, I want my inheritance and I want it now. I wish you were just dead. I'll take the cash. And he takes the cash and he goes off and he wastes his money in a far country. And when the money runs out and the famine comes, he finds himself starving, working for a pig farmer, making so little that he doesn't even have enough to eat. And he awakens to his situation. He awakens to his regret. He awakens to his need. And he tries to gamble on hope and go back to his father and say, maybe he'll at least give me a job. And we followed his journey through this story. And last week we got to where he returned to his father. And sure enough, to his great surprise, he was received and welcomed by his father. We've awakened to so much. You might think to yourself, is there more? I mean, we've made it back. Everything's fine, right? What more do we need to awaken to? Like when I make it to 1.30 in the afternoon. I've been awake for so long, maybe I do need a nap. I don't know. But I think, just like I need to get up and take a walk and find a Snickers bar or something like that to stay alert through the rest of the day, I think there might be more to awaken to. In fact, I think if you let yourself today, you have an opportunity to awaken to the fact that God intends to meet your very deepest needs in life. Now, I don't know what you think your deepest need is. I've been clear for some time, though, about mine. My deepest need in life is to be known and to be loved. One or the other won't do it, you know. If I'm loved but they don't really know me, it just doesn't count. Because what if they did know me, you know? If I'm known and not loved, well, that's the rejection that terrifies me. 
This was first clear to me one time more than 20 years ago. I had a dear friend I'd come to rely on more and more deeply in life, probably something close to a best friend. And this relationship was so important to me. It was kind of one of the, one of the core relationships of my life. And then I'd done some stuff. I'd done some stuff that I knew was wrong. It was fundamentally wrong, and I was ashamed of it all on its own. But even worse, what I had done, I had done to this dear friend. The thing was, they didn't know it. In fact, nobody knew that I'd done it. And all the logical part of me felt like, you got off, you, you, you're, you're safe. You're secure. If they don't know and nobody knows, then you'll, this friendship is intact and it isn't threatened by what you did. But that's when I discovered that despite the logic of that, what I needed was not to be loved despite what they didn't know. What I most needed was to be known and loved. And so I took this terrible gamble and I found an opportunity to tell my friend what I'd done and that it had been done to them. And then there was this terrifying pause and my friend talked about all the pain of that. And then my friend forgave me and I was known and I was loved. And that's it. It's what I most need in the world. I think most days I need it more than breathing. And I think some of you here know that need. Some of you, in your desire to be loved, you're hiding who you really are from your most important relationships. But you know that just doesn't cut it. Because then you're not known. And if you're not known, you can't really be loved the way you want to be. Well, if you know that need, well, then I have this wonderfully good news for you. God knows you. The Bible says this all the time. God knows your inmost thoughts and your deepest desires. God knows what you have done. God knows what you have left undone. God knows what you wanted to do but were too scared to try. God knows everything about you, the hairs on your head and the number of days in your life. And God loves you. God knows you. And yet Psalm 86 says, You, Lord, are compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. First John puts it this way, This is how God showed us His love. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son as a making things right sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. God knows us and God loves us. 
Here we have the thing we most desperately need to be known and loved is embodied in the God who knows and loves all of us and yet so many of us are asleep to this truth. So many of us are unable to awaken to the reality that we are loved by God. There are a lot of things that keep us trapped asleep in this way. Probably the most obvious one is the one that affected the younger brother in our story. One of the obstacles to awakening to the love of God for us is the obstacle of our sin and our shame. This can be the sin that we have done or the sin that others have done to us. But at a certain point in our life, our recognition of our sin and the sin done to us can begin to convince us that we are unable to be deeply loved by God. That's what happens to the younger brother. Now see, listen, the younger brother knows the great and merciful character of his father. If he didn't think his father was such a forgiving person, well, he never would have gone back, right? He, he knows just how forgiving his father is. But even he cannot believe that he ever could be restored to his status as a son of the father. He just can't believe it. We know that because when he goes to the father, he says this, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The obstacle of my sin and shame is too great. I can never again be your son. And when we first hear that, doesn't that sound humble when he says that? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That sounds so humble to us. But it actually, it's arrogance. Now stay with me here. It's arrogance. Because what he's saying is, Father, I'm in charge of who has the status of sonship or not. I'm in charge. And I say, I don't qualify. But the Father will have none of it. It's as if the Father says to him, I will decide how much I love you. Don't you tell me the limits of my love. And he calls aloud, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Don't tell me you're not worthy to be called my son. I call you my son. And I've got a robe and a ring and sandals and a dead cow to prove to the world that this is my son. And this is, this is a moment for some of us. Some of you, you don't even know this, but you came here today in a disagreement with God. You don't know you're disagreeing with God. You, you may think you came here agreeing with God. You may have come here saying, you know, God, I'm just not worthy. I don't measure up. I can never be your daughter. I can never be your son. And you think God is saying, you're right. Yeah, you blew it. You, you're, you're too far gone. But God isn't saying that at all. God is saying, somebody kill a cow. We've got to have a party. For you are my daughter. You are my son. I will declare 
Who is my child? Don't you tell me or tell yourself you've done too much, you've gone too far, you no longer can be my child, for the limits of my love are defined by me, and my love has no limit. That is what our God is saying to us when we are asleep to His love. Parents, I want you to try this sometime with your kids, okay? Kids, next time you break a lamp, try this, okay? You break a lamp or whatever it is you do wrong. Mom and dad come home. They say, did you do this? You try this. You say, yes, I did it. And let them say, somebody kill a cow because this is my child. And don't you think that broken lamp can prevent you from being my beloved child? That's what God is saying here. Somebody's got to kill a cow. The father wanted the whole town to know just how certain he was of the son's restored status. So he gave him a robe and a ring and a sandals and he killed a cow. And your God wants you to know just how certain God is of his overwhelming love for you. And so he sent his son text says this is how God proved his love for us that while we were sinners he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us so we could be reconciled some of you came here today and you want to say God you are mistaken I've done too much I can't be called your daughter again and God says I have made no mistake I know you and I love you. I know everything about you. I recognize you because you are my child. And the son had a choice. He could have, as I suppose, taken off the robe and said, no, no, I've done too much. I can never be your son again. But instead, he followed his father into the house where the cow was already cooking and it was steaks for everyone because he believed. He woke up to his father's love. I would just plead with you today. Will you awaken and agree with God that you are known and loved? You are God's beloved child. Some of you, some of us, we think we're awake. Have you ever done that where you have one of those dreams that you think you're awake in and then later you wake up and you're a little confused? Am I even awake now or am I still dreaming? Have you done that before? That's, that's the reality some of us live in right now. You think you're awake, but you're just as asleep as the younger brother out there in the pigsty. That was the problem the older brother had. You know, there are two brothers in this story. You can't have a younger brother without an older brother. The older brother, it turns out, was just as asleep as his younger brother. Because for some of you, the obstacle to God's love that you are facing is not the obstacle of your sin and shame. For some of us, the greatest threat to our relationship with God is your righteousness and not your sin. Right now, for some of you, I'll say it again, it's a little confusing, I know. 
The obstacle of your righteousness is what's keeping you from a true and deep relationship with God. This was the elder brother's problem. He was the one who stayed home, who did what his father told him to do. When the younger brother came home and the party started, he was out working in the fields. And let's recognize that if you're the son of a farmer, out working in the fields is exactly where you're supposed to be. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And he comes back and he hears a party going on in the house. Nobody told him about the party. He was out working in the fields. He asks a servant, what is the meaning of this party that I hear? And the servant says, oh, hadn't you heard? Your brother came home and your father killed a cow. And under his breath, he says, killed a cow. He, he, he killed, he, yeah. And while he's out there fuming about the dead cow, his father gets word that the brother isn't coming inside. And just like the father ran to the younger brother, he runs out to the elder brother. And just like the younger brother had a speech prepared, the elder brother has a speech prepared. His speech sounds like this. Look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me even a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You don't think I've earned a goat by now? A goat? You see, the elder brother doesn't join the party because he is utterly cut off from his father's love. He says to his father, I have earned it. Where's my goat? What's so fascinating to me is that the younger brother and the elder brother are coming to their father with exactly the same request. The younger brother says, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Would you just please treat me like I work for you? The elder brother comes and says, I've done everything a son should do. Would you just please treat me like I work for you? He's abdicating his status as son. Just says, just give me what I've earned. And I've earned at least a goat. When inside, there's a party. With a huge cow that just got killed. You don't think there's enough food for two brothers? Have you seen a cow? They're giant, you know? Like we buy them in little packages all cellophane. But you can get a lot of those out of a cow. I don't know, but it's a bunch, right? Cows are huge. And he's in there arguing over his little scrawny goat because he's too proud to share a cow? Oh, but good grief. This is us, right? This is us. We're so proud of what we've earned. We're so proud of what we've done. But if we've earned it, well, then it isn't love. He's so sure of his righteousness, so sure of what he deserves, that he's utterly asleep to the fact that his father threw a party and he's invited I just need to warn you, this, this could be you today. You could be feeling pretty secure about all the good you've done and pretty sharp for what a good person you are. 
Pretty sure you've earned a goat. Maybe some of you might have earned two goats. I don't know. Y'all look pretty good people. I mean, you came to church, you know. You know, that's pretty good. I, I bet most of you don't cut people off in traffic, or when you do, you, you certainly feel bad about it, right? I mean, you're not that bad a person. You know, you, you pay your taxes, and 25% of you vote. So, that, you know, that's pretty good, right? I mean, you all are good people. I mean, you, you've done what you were supposed to do, right? You, 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 surely, surely by now you've earned a goat. And we, and we pray to God like this, right? We go to God and we say, God, I, I've done what you're supposed to do. I, I quit cussing mostly. And, you know, I'm doing all these right things. And, I, and I'm giving and I'm doing all this. And I'm, pretty, I'm ready for my goat now, God. I'm pretty sure I deserve that goat. And God says, oh, oh, but I loved you. Oh, please don't, please don't make us have a conversation about what you deserve or what you've earned. I don't want to talk about goats. I killed a cow. It's cooking right now. We're going to have leftovers. Well, of course you've earned a goat. Or not, or who cares? I love you. I just wonder, will you awaken to love and agree with God? See, we don't know how this story ended for the elder brother. You can go look at it, Luke 15. The story stops, and we never know if the elder brother went back in the party or not. That's how big an obstacle the obstacle of righteousness is to the love of our God. We never know if the elder brother always ever decided he would let go of the goat he thought he'd earned so he could go receive the cow that his father wanted to give him. So we don't know about him, but I wonder about you. Will you awaken to love and agree with God, not that you've earned a goat, but that God loves you so much He wants to kill a cow for you? That you are God's beloved child? Boy, I hope you would. There's one other obstacle that we learn about from the elder brother. One other enemy to the awakening to love that God wants us to have. That obstacle is tragically, powerfully alive in our world. It's the obstacle of lies. The obstacle of lies that are told about God and about God's character and how God feels about God's beloved children. We see this obstacle exemplified in the elder brother's conversation. Right after he complains that his father never gave him a goat, he goes on to say this, But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. He's really concerned about that cow. I just, this guy likes cows. But notice that beginning part. Do you hear what he says? When this son of yours came home. He's, he's denying his relationship to his own brother. Not when my brother came home. Not when Fred came back. But when this son of yours, like he doesn't even know him. 
Imagine with me for a second. What would have happened if the younger brother had run into the elder brother first? The text tells us that the elder brother was out working in the fields. So if the younger brother had come in from the right direction, he would have seen his elder brother miles before he saw his father in town near where the house was. What if he'd run into his elder brother first? The elder brother, like the father, would have been able to recognize him from a long way off. He was his brother, after all. I expect the elder brother, like the father, would have run to meet him on the road. I expect the elder brother, like the father, would have had a speech prepared to give him. But I expect the speech would have sounded something like this. Who do you think you are? How dare you come back here? Do you remember that day when you said that we were dead to you? Well, ever since that day, we have rejoiced to say that you are dead to us. I barely recognize you. You step back foot in town and I will chase you out. You step onto these fields expecting to eat some of the food that I have raised and you will go away sad and hungry. I'm not really sure who you are. Don't you think that's how the elder brother would have treated his younger brother if he'd happened to have met him first? And if he had, he never would have made it into town. He never would have heard of his father's love. He never would have been embraced and given a robe and a ring and sandals and they wouldn't have killed a cow because he never would have known that despite the lies of his elder brother, the love of his father was sufficient to restore him to his status as son. Now that didn't happen in Jesus' story, and I'm grateful that it didn't, but I'm deeply concerned that it's happening in our world. We read that text from 1 John about how God proved His love by sending His Son. That text goes on to say, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But we don't do it. Think of all the ways Christians hate other people. It just baffles my mind that a person who knows themselves who have been loved and forgiven by God could fail to love and forgive other people. It, it, it baffles me why I do it. Because I do. Now, I don't know if this is you. But I know it's a lot of us. You know, it's a lot of us. And I, I just want to invite you, uh, you need to realize that every time you express anything less than love for, I don't know, Republicans, or Donald Trump, or Democrats, or Hillary Clinton, or ISIS, or fundamentalists, or the 1%, oh my goodness, don't get me started, they're driving me crazy. Or immigrants. Every time you express anything less than love for those you are inclined to despise, you stand in opposition to the declared will 
of the Almighty God. And that's a dangerous place to stand. Because God has said, that one whom you have chosen to hate, that's my son. That's my daughter. And nobody messes with my kids. I love them. Listen to the rebuke the father gives to the elder brother. He says, son, he reminds him who he is, you are always with me, and all that's mine is yours. I love you, son. I've already given you everything, cows and goats included. It was fitting, though, to celebrate and be glad for this your brother. He tells him that's who he was. He was your brother. Was dead and is alive. He is lost and he is now found. God's people, it's really simple. You put a fish on your car, you can't cut people off in traffic. You got to drive like Jesus does. And you claim to be a Christian on Facebook. You know, you like Mountain CC's Facebook page. You claim to be a Christian at work, around your water cooler, in your family, with your extended family, in your neighborhood. You claim to be a follower of Christ. Well, then you need to love other people like God does, like their dearly beloved children. You need to post on Facebook about whatever group of people drive you crazy like you love them, like you know they are God's sons and daughters, and like you are desperate to meet them at the feast because somebody killed a cow and you don't want them to miss it. When you talk to your neighbors, you need to talk to your neighbors like you love them as much as God loves them. When you talk around work about other people, about that politician who drives you crazy, you need to talk like what you're going to say might be the words that helps them know that they are a dearly loved child of God. Friends, when you talk about the Steelers, you need to talk about them like God loves them because He wants them to repent. You know, no, I mean because cause they're God's dearly beloved children. This is it. And Steelers fans, this is even harder, I've discovered. When you talk about the Ravens, you need to talk about them like God loves them. Now, we laugh, and I'm glad we do because it gets a little oppressive, but this is serious because if we are the ones who speak the lies of hatred and rejection, we could be the reason that one of God's dearly loved children fails to discover how loved they are. That's what's at stake when you're on Facebook. That's what's at stake when you complain to your neighbors. That's what's at stake when you criticize somebody else around the water cooler at work. And I will just say, if you're here today and someone in the name of Christ has told you that you're beyond love, as someone has told you that God has given up on you or forgotten you or that God just really, God couldn't you know, work with you. You're, you're too far gone. God, they lied to you. They just lied to you. They were not representing the heart of their father. They were not speaking the truth because God's declared will and intention is that God knows you and loves you and longs for you to be restored as his child. And he sent Jesus Christ to prove it so that no one would be unclear. This story we've been telling, it's a love story about a father and two sons 
they were asleep to his love. And in different ways, the father goes to them and he says, wake up. I love you. And I think it's fitting that it's a love story because the gospel is a love story. The whole Christian message is a love story. Maybe you've heard, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. It's a love story. It's not just a love story for the whole world. It's a love story for you, or at least God wants it to be. I love the way John puts it in 1 John. He says, look what great love the Father has lavished on us that we could be called the children of God. And that's exactly what we are. The creator of the universe wants for your story to be a love story. For you to awaken to the reality that God knows you and loves you. May you today awaken to that love. Your sin and shame is no obstacle to God's love and God's knowledge that you are God's beloved child. Your righteousness has earned you nothing to compare with the love of God for you and his declaration that you are his child. The lies that others have told you do not represent the declared will of God that if God is for you and he is, then no one else can stand to condemn you. On that day when the younger brother returned home, as a proof to all who were watching that he was received as a son, the father gave him a robe and a ring and sandals and he killed a cow so that everyone could celebrate. And in your life, in human history, as proof that you are God's beloved child, our Heavenly Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that the world would know that He has not counted our sins against us and we have earned nothing to compare with the love of God for us in Christ. Every week we share in a meal to repeat that declaration that in God we are restored as His beloved children. It's a simple meal. We didn't kill a cow. It's bread and juice. Christ's body and Christ's blood. And God's invitation to you is just what the invitation of the Father was that day to both His sons. Do not refuse this table of reconciliation. Everyone who accepts the invitation to the feast is welcome now. Younger brothers and older brothers and crazy old uncles and second cousins twice removed are invited to the table as children of their Father. If you today trust what Christ has done for you and believe what God says that you are His child, this is your feast, and I hope you join us in it. Let's pray. Oh God, awaken us to the reality that we are your beloved children. 
let us claim the truth that if you, God, are for us, then no one can stand to condemn us. And God, may we in this feast come home to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.